Thank you, Al. Good morning. You guys will go ahead and open up your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 9. And we'll get started. Everything's got to be just right. <laughs> On the morning of March 11th, 2005, Atlanta resident and accused rapist Brian Nichols overpowered a courthouse deputy, taking his gun and subsequently killing four people, including a judge, a court reporter, a deputy, and a federal agent. What followed was the largest manhunt in the history of the state of Georgia. During the hours between Nichols' escape and eventual capture, Nichols would take hostage one Ashley Smith Robinson, 26, in her apartment in Duluth, a suburb of Atlanta. Ashley, who had struggled with meth addiction following the murder of her husband four years earlier, had herself felt her life spin out of control to the point of surrendering custody of her then five-year-old daughter to her aunt in Augusta, nearly 140 miles away. In fact, unable to produce the marijuana that Nichols demanded upon taking her hostage, Ashley watched as Nichols snorted line after line of methamphetamine that she herself had provided him in an effort to pacify her captor. And yet, as Smith recalls the event, there too sat God. Describing the scene as Nichols offered her some of the meth from her own stash, Smith said the Lord spoke clearly to her through Nichols, asking if she had had enough yet, if she would finally change and step away from the path she had been on, or if God should have the killer send her home. Over the course of seven long hours, Smith and Nichols would discuss many things, ultimately leading to candid talks about faith as Ashley felt as if Nichols was fighting at a spiritual crossroad himself. Smith, connecting with Nichols as she expressed her own feelings of being lost, of struggling with whether or not everything she had been told about God growing up was true. After asking if she could read as they watched the live news reports of this crime and the manhunt going on, Nichols agreed with Ashley grabbing two books, the Bible and a copy of The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Kurt Warren. Opening chapter 33 of The Purpose Driven Life, Smith read the opening paragraph aloud. We serve God by serving others. The world defines greatness in terms of power, possessions, prestige, and position. If you can demand service from others, you've arrived. In our self-serving culture, with its me-first mentality, acting like a servant is not a popular concept. A listening Nichols responded, stop. Will you read it again? And upon hearing it again, he miraculously began to soften, to consider the hurt he had caused, to reflect on himself, his actions, his selfishness, 
and after being convinced by Smith that she needed to pick up her daughter and that it was time for him to stop running, Nichols would release Smith and turn himself into the police peacefully. Now Smith's life would radically change in the days and the months to come. Having stared death squarely in the face and discovered in it her God-given purpose in life, she turned away from a life of addiction, eventually gaining back custody of her daughter, and now shares her story in hopes of encouraging others to find their purpose in Christ Jesus. Purpose is a powerful concept, and in a Christian context, uh, we tend to think about it in positive terms, and rightly so, uh, given our call to love those around us, to share the good news of God's grace, mercy, and yes, purpose in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an easy and familiar concept for those of us in the church, those who share and celebrate Christ's redeeming work in our own lives and in the lives of the Ashley Smiths of the world. But, what about the Brian Nichols of the world? Well, yes, his heart softened enough to release his hostage and to surrender to the police, he would eventually try to plea insanity, to fight against accepting the consequences of his heinous behavior, and as of this day has in no way indicated his heart or his life has been transformed by Christ. What about the purpose of Brian? In fact, what about the purpose of the many, given that Jesus says the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few? What about everyone else? What about the Putins and the Hitlers of the world? What about them? Do they have a purpose? Does evil serve a purpose? Ultimately, why does a good God allow evil to exist in the first place? Now, these questions have challenged unprepared Christians and are often weaponized to attack Christianity in the public square. And yet, as we continue our series this morning, we will discover that God has provided a clear answer and a clear purpose for all so that we may stand firm prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason that a hope is in, even finding sovereign purpose in the face of evil. We picked a really good Sunday to join us. We're not going to answer one, but two of the great philosophical existential questions that humanity has wrestled with throughout the history. But first, let us take a look back at where John left us last week. So if you guys will remember last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter 9. And it was really Paul posing rhetorical questions, and really last week's question was a question about God's faithfulness. Ultimately, has God failed Israel? And the answer was, no. God had absolutely not failed Israel. That in fact, God had fulfilled his covenant promises to Israel in Christ Jesus. That is, if you took all the covenant promises that were given to Israel, they were all leading us to Jesus 
so that then, as uh, rather Jew or Gentile, we could find salvation through Jesus. God had not failed Israel. As John continued, he talked about uh, how God is sovereign and he is faithful to accomplish his purpose and promise, purposes that were in eternity past, long before anything was created. And, and he is going to choose, uh, he can and does choose to work through us, to work through people, but his faithfulness is not contingent upon our performance. That is, uh, we get this picture of uh, Romans 9.13. He quotes, he says, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Now, this isn't so much about Jacob and Esau. As far as it goes, if you read about Jacob's life, he was a mess. This was not, not the, 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 the guy you put up as man of the year. All right? It wasn't so much about them, but about the nations that they would go on to represent. That is, uh, Jacob, who would represent Israel, that was God's, ultimately, Israel was God's chosen nation to deliver the Messiah, our Savior, to the world. And that choice, that decision was made in eternity past. It wasn't about what Jacob did and what Jacob didn't do. God ordained that through this nation that he would form, through this people, he would bring his Messiah into the world. And that's where we pick things up today. Uh, we step in, we're in Romans uh, chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, and it becomes then not a question of God's faithfulness. Paul's going to uh, put another question out there that's really at its heart. It's a question of God's justice then. Because I mean, oh come on, now you're saying before Jacob could even do anything, this was okay, so now we're going to question God's justice. Romans 9, 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So Paul begins, and he begins with that question, is, is God unjust? And he uses this phrase, by no means. And for you and I, that probably doesn't do much, but in Greek, it's this phrase. Uh, let's see if I get it right here. Megenomai. Looking at John for affirmation. <laughs> And that still probably doesn't do anything for you here, unless you're like a Greek scholar and then the light bulb went off. But for the rest of us, I like John MacArthur. He gives a really good explanation. This expression is the strongest Greek idiom for repudiating a statement. And it contains a sense of outrage that anyone would ever even think that that statement is true. By no means is God unjust. The most extreme, as far as you can take it from a language perspective. And then he's going to present two cases, all right, two distinct cases from the book of Exodus. And he's going to begin by quoting a passage from Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And we get 
a picture of Moses. And, and what's fascinating is what, where this picture of Moses is from. This is after Moses has delivered uh, the Ten Commandments. That part has happened. Okay? Unfortunately, uh, after that, what the people decided to do was to create a golden calf because Moses had gone up on the mountain for a period of time. And so they're creating an idol and they're dancing around and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, worshiping this calf. And Moses comes down, and you can kind of remember the scene. He throws down the tablets, very dramatic. And God, at this point, Moses has appealed to God for mercy on the people for their idolatry. And God from Moses' And so God says, I will have mercy on this idolatrous people. I will have compassion because I choose to have mercy and compassion on this people. Now, he presents a separate. So what's the, the purpose? Okay, why would God choose to forgive this idolatrous people? And uh, I remember Psalm 105, verse 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. That is, uh, the people still recall. If you were Jewish today, you would still celebrate the Passover as people remember this amazing thing that God has done. They remember his grace and his mercy as he raised the serpent up on the post. They remember what God has done for this people. And that, yes, he has been merciful and gracious. And so, in that, God is glorified as the people remember the good thing that God has done. Alright? And that is, that is case one. But what's even more than that? Alright? It's not that, like, God... Uh, was, oh, okay, Moses, you asked. I was going to destroy him, but then you asked. No, 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 it's not like that. God had a plan here. Really, Moses standing up, appealing uh, to God as a mediator, was really meant to be a picture for us, pointing us to another mediator who would come and mediate between man and God, that we could have peace, pointing to God's future grace. There was a purpose behind all of it, ultimately to glorify God. That's the purpose. Then Paul goes back just a little further to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, and he has another quote for as, he's, as God is speaking through Moses, a message that he is to deliver to a very rebellious Pharaoh. He says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is God, again, speaking through a hard-hearted, or speaking to a hard-hearted Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, who would kind of come to represent the world, come to represent, like, every bad leader that you can think of, these self-made men who, who uh, sit on a throne and, and think they have some power. And, and, and here's a, a proud uh, Pharaoh and what does God say? He says, you have a purpose. There's a purpose for where you are today. Now, you may have made decisions, but I had an ulterior purpose. And what is this purpose? To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. As we get to Psalm 136, 
10 through 15, again, the people remembering what God has done and God being glorified in it. To him who struck down the firstborn in Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. You guys remember, I made you guys read this psalm with me before. I love this one. Brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him that divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. That is, as the wrath of God was poured out upon a proud Pharaoh, who, yep, he, he made all his decisions, God got him to where he was, and he thought he had something. He did not have anything. God fulfilled his purpose, and yes, on that day, Pharaoh suddenly knew, and his army knew, as the sea crashed over them, that there was a God in Israel. But even now, even now, whatever, there's kids downstairs that are learning about Moses and the Red Sea. We still remember that story and remember that there is a God. A God who is in control. And he is glorified in that. A purpose even for the pharaohs of the world. And then Paul kind of transitions to, to kind of, you know, if, if Moses and Pharaoh are kind of familiar, team, uh, familiar stories, uh, you know, for, for Christians, familiar if you're involved in the church, if you're familiar to all the scriptures, you're pretty familiar with these concepts. Well, I was going to transition to another picture. The potter and the clay. And, and for a lot of us, we get excited about this. You, you Romans 9, 19 through 21, you'll say to me, why does he still find fault? So, hey, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. So if God is, is going to work his purpose in spite of my purpose, how can I even argue, you know, how can he blame me? He's, he's doing it all, right? Trying to find an escape. For who can resist his will? Paul answers, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And uh, we get this picture of the potter and the clay. And it's a, it can be. A beautiful picture. I mean, the, 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 the potter would make his, his vessels that he would use for ceremonies in the temple. You know, make some, they're still masterpieces in museums, right? They're little, little sections of pottery. And, and for most of us, you know, Carrie uh, Clanky uses the, the potter's wheel uh, sometimes to, to share evangelical messages. And a lot of times, you know, go to Isaiah 64, 8. Uh, but now, O oh Lord, you are our father and we are the clay. And you are a potter, and we are all the work of your hand. And we are reminded that God is transforming us, conforming us into the image of the Son, Christ Jesus. And for that, we are certainly very, very grateful, right? We are grateful to see uh, honorable use of the clay. But the question is, there are some other things that can be made from that very same lump of clay. And while we may have the fancy vessel, my grandpa used to say you were really poor if you didn't have one of these. Some of the old, all the old people laughed. None of the young people had any idea um, what I was saying. And, and so, out of the same lump of clay, notice it's the same. There's no distinctions between the clay. Matter of fact, if we look at the behavior of the uh, of the Israelites 
and their idolatry, and we look at the idolatrous notion that Pharaoh had, they were the same, weren't they? They were both sinners. And yet God in his mercy would choose to pour out mercy upon Israel, and Pharaoh would drown in the sea. So it becomes then really a question of purpose. That is, uh, Romans 9, 22 through 24, it continues, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared before him for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So, philosophical, Thomas 2, philosophical question number one. We'll answer that right now. Why do I exist? If you've been living in mom's basement and just struggling with this, this is your day. You're going to know and you can go out and conquer the world now. Why do I exist? Every person, everything, all of creation exists to glorify God. Everything. So, why am I here? You're here to glorify God. That is why you exist. You have meaning to your life and purpose. Not just me saying it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. All things, not some things, you understand, all things were created through him and they were created for him. Talking about the supremacy of Christ. So there's one unifying purpose for all. That is we are all made to glorify God. No matter who we are. No matter where we are. You are made to glorify God. But. There are two distinct variations. On how exactly that is accomplished. For our vessels of mercy. We accomplish that by magnifying God's grace. We magnify God's mercy. We magnify God's compassion. We magnify God's forgiveness. Like we, we see these characteristics of God exhibited in us. How do you glorify God? Well, you manifest characteristics of His, who He is. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He is forgiving. And for our vessels of that mercy, we reflect that into the world around us. If you're a Christian today, that's what you're called to do. Now, for that other piece of clay, what is its purpose? How does it glorify God? Vessels of wrath magnify God's power. They demonstrate his patience. They magnify God's righteousness and his justness. You understand God is absolutely just. Pedophiles of the world, they're going to, you know, they're apart from Christ, they're paying. The Hitlers of the world, they're going to answer. There will be justice. And they magnify God's allowance of free will. Sin can only exist because we make a choice. We just always choose the same dumb thing. It's a demonstration. Which leads us to the second philosophical question. I promise to, and here we go. Why then? Why does 
a good God allow evil to exist? We've kind of already alluded to it. Evil exists to glorify God because all things exist to glorify God. Psalm got, got me. I mean, when you think about understanding the complexity of free will and God's sovereignty and the, the interesting God, the fact that we can even ask the question, why? It's an amazing thing. That we would even have the freedom to do so is an amazing thing. And we choose again. There's a purpose. Psalm 73. Verse 1 through 16. I love this. It got me, got me thinking because, man, are we the only people ever wrestle with these questions? And, of course, the answer is no. Uh, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked. Every morning... If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. The psalmist looks at the world around him and says, man, I've tried to do the right thing and had nothing but a hard time. How in the world is that guy doing so great? What is he really asking? Why? Why do you, a good God, allow this evil to exist? That's the struggle. Everyone in this room at some point, you've, you've asked the question, why? The psalmist goes on until, I love this, Psalm 73, 17 through 28, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment swept away by utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Uh, pause here. There's a day of wrath coming. I see where you're going with this, God. Boy, I'm, these guys think they're good and they're not. <coughs> Then I love how he transitions from an object of wrath to looking at the mirror. Lord, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. And 
Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Object of mercy, maybe? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works, that you would be glorified in my life. Every person, every thing, all, say it with me, all of creation exists to glorify God. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everything. Philippians, we go to the, the penultimate passage. Apex here, Philippians 2, chapter, two or chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, whatever angelic, whatever things I don't even know exist, okay, whatever God has created up there that I don't know, all of it. On earth, the mess I do know, and under the earth, even Satan himself will declare, you understand, every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for what purpose? To the glory of God the Father. All things bring glory to God. Everything. So, what's the point, right? Why does this matter to me in this room today? What's the point? First, God is faithful and God is just. God can and does do everything he says he will do. Everything. He, doesn't, he never drops the ball. Not one time. Flawless, perfect in his word, which is really great because he has given us, his children, some really, really great promises. And it is wonderful, amazing. Matter of fact, the most important thing in my life is that I know I can count on him. That I can count on those promises. God is faithful. And God is just. When I look around at the world around me and I see uh, the hurt and the pain and the brokenness and the, the evil things done in this world, I am grateful to know, look, nothing's slipping through the cracks here. Justice will be served. It will absolutely be served. He will carry out everything. He's entirely unchanging. God is entirely unchanging unbending and consistent in his divine nature. Faithful is simply a part of who God is. 
He is just. Justice will be served. The Hitlers of the world will answer for the evil they have done. And apart from the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, divinely imputed to those who could respond to his call to salvation, so will each and every person who will ever live. And God's glory will be apparent as his divine justice is poured out upon vessels of wrath. God is gracious. God is merciful. Just as God created for himself a people, a nation that he would use to bring his son into the world despite their unfaithfulness, God is calling to himself a people, the church, his vessels of mercy, recipients of his undeserving grace and mercy through his son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, God's glory is made manifest in and through each of his children who have responded to his call. Third, God is in control and God is working all things for our good and his glory. Everything. Not just even when I don't understand it, but sometimes especially when I don't understand it. Most of the time, especially when I don't understand it. I'm pretty limited on understanding. The idolatry of the Israelites as they danced around that golden calf would go on to magnify God's grace. The prideful, contemptuous heart of Pharaoh would go on to magnify God's power and justice as the Red Sea would swallow Pharaoh and his army while the nation of Egypt mourned the loss of their firstborn children. God will be glorified. Leads us to our final point. God is in control, working all things for our good and glory. All things, then, even evil, exist to glorify God. And they do so as God manifests his divine nature in and through them. All things. Back to the story we began with this morning of Ashley Smith and Brian Nichols. What is it about us that loves hearing stories of redemption like Ashley's? Of seeing a life in chaos transformed, save that eternity is indeed written upon our hearts, and no matter who we are, we know deep inside we are in desperate need of grace and forgiveness ourselves, and ultimately of God, who is the only source for hope and answers for the chaos around us. God is glorified in his vessels of mercy. Conversely, what is it about us that cries for justice, that longs to see the Brian Nichols of the world answer for the pain that they've caused, for the Hitlers and the Putins and, and uh, whatever, man. In, insert your person here. Why do we cry for justice? Save that again. Eternity is written upon our hearts and deep down, deep down, we know there must be a payment made for the sins of the world. Things must be made right. They must be. Yes, God is glorified. 
as he pours out his justice upon vessels of wrath. There is purpose in everything. There is purpose in every one. And my question for you this morning is this. How will you glorify God? Are you a vessel of mercy? Or are you a vessel of wrath? Have you, like Ashley, been held hostage by sin? Can you, like Ashley, even now, even now, hear the Lord speaking through your captor saying, have you had enough yet? If that's you, it's not too late to answer the Lord's call and to let the master potter begin transforming your life today. If you find yourself like Brian, like Pharaoh, with a hardened heart, rejecting God's gracious offer of salvation through his son. Please know this. You can make your own call. You have the freedom to do so. You can reject. You can deny. But you will glorify God one way or another. We all do. My hope and prayer is that each of us would do so as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, nope, we don't have to live in the basement of our parents wondering what's going on here, what's the purpose. No, 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 you, you've, you've given it to us. I mean, clearly, clearly, this is uh, perhaps one of the clearest passages of Scripture. There's, there's no other one of thank you for giving us answers. Lord, we thank you for choosing to be gracious and merciful. We need your grace and mercy. I, I need your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for being just, that there is a, uh, a day of reckoning coming. That when we see the heartache, when we see the pain around us, you, you're not oblivious to that. Your patience is demonstrated. One day your justice, your wrath will be poured out. And you will be glorified. How can we even understand how merciful and gracious and loving and kind you have been to us if we did not understand the immensity of the alternative? Father, for the people here in this room, the people watching at home, I pray that they have heard your call. That they have given their hearts to you. And the one person who's maybe hearing it for the first time is you just, just breathe life in For those whose hearts are hard. 